0: Hi, I'm Brittany Curran, and I play Fenn on Sci-Fi's The Magicians. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew. The Coffee Clatch
1: Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, The Magicians, episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino.
2: I'm Christina Lomangino.
1: And today, for the last time, we bring magic back into our lives with episode 12, The Balls, and episode 13, Fillory and Further.
2: Now this is going to be our last regular episode review coverage, but we will also have a series bonus episode sometime in the near future.
1: Most likely after Westworld is finished. We're going to have fun. We're going to sit down with this, reflect. We'll reach out to everyone via Twitter. So continue following us, or if you haven't followed us yet, follow us because we're going to reach out to you guys for answers. We're going to ask you questions like, what's your favorite scene? What was your favorite episode? Things like that
2: open-ended story thread. So we're not going to get into that kind of stuff this time around. We're just going to cover 12 and 13, the finale, as an end to the season. And a a little bit about the overall story, but we'll try to save series stuff for that episode. So first, we're going to talk about 512, The Balls, written by John McNamara and directed by Mira Menon. IMDb is currently giving this a 7.7. The critics are saying the balls centering the songs around emotions, bottled or otherwise, was an appropriate choice. However, combining the musical elements with a heist, another tried-and-true narrative in this show may have had a diluting effect on both fan-favorite formats. The mistakes made during the heist and the overly simplistic fixes tempered the effectiveness of the caper. For instance, Marina needs the harmonic convergence to break into the nave, but the plan works here despite really bad mistakes. Hmm. Made. They get a Pete right now. The baton breaks in the middle, but they're usually able to fix it. Psycho Fog drinks from that flask. Would he really do that? They were forced to kind of fast forward through a lot of those things. And this article says compounding the issue was the fact that the couple weren't very menacing villains. We didn't get too much of time to really dig into them and care about them. And I know we're not talking about the finale yet, but point in case when they bring back an older, (laughs) really amazing villain. It's a completely different feeling in the finale from that which you get here. In fact, they're almost trying to make you feel for the couple and the reasoning why they want to do this.
1: Yes, in the end, I didn't look at them as bad guys. I looked at them as another set of magicians who have their own issues that they're trying to handle. But then I remember the one scene we got a few episodes back with George and how menacing he was in that scene. So it's odd to see them in a completely different light at this point.
3: Yeah,
2: cutting off Alice's fingers. That feels a little bit out of sync with how they're seen here. So the stakes are a lot lower. You know, that fear of getting away from them, not being caught, being able to get the seed. Even certain parts about the hotel, they do set up good security measures and everything they have to get through. But sometimes it's played a bit for comic relief.
1: Because it's a musical. You know,
2: the the empath golems as the bellhops despite the fact that they put Everett in a full body cast into the hospital. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of um, misfiring, I think, happening there. And I do think matching the musical with a heist episode is interesting. Whereas this critic says you have too much of both. And so neither one can get really full weight. The capers that go along with a heist, everything that's entailed with that, plus the musical side of things. I do think those can mesh pretty well. But I kept thinking to myself, but it's the second to last episode of the entire series. Yeah. And it almost just feels like having a good time instead of wrapping up a bunch of the plot lines I know we're going to have to get to in the finale.
1: I agree with you. My heart is confused. I have many thoughts. One, I am relishing in everything left of The Magicians because I know it's almost over. But again, you're right. The fact that it's the second to last episode ever... I don't think the timing was good on that. We love the musical episodes every year. I think this one was the weakest of them. Now, with that critic saying the music and the heist won't work, I think it would have worked if the song choices Mm. were more upbeat, kind of like...
2: Like the I Want to Be Sedated, the last one they did. Yeah. They went for the more quiet, emotional songs, which I think worked for character purposes. And some of the most beautiful stuff is what's happening between Alice and Elliot. Yeah. Two characters that we had mentioned, we really enjoyed their voices in the last musical and wish we had gotten more of them. And I I have a feeling that's probably why they did that. There's another article that says they reserved the killer voice of Jade Taylor for the triumphant I-want-to-be-sedated final moments rather than having her overshadow the other vocalists throughout the episode, which allowed Olivia Taylor Dudley... And Hale Appleman to shine in the more heartfelt moments. But, like you said, a confusion of tone there. Why is that taking place in the middle of a heist episode? I, I just felt, I think maybe the most glaring one was the opening song with Sir Effingham. Yeah. I, I couldn't understand what they were going for with that. And there is constantly just this internal clock for me. I felt that if The Magician struggles with anything, because they are an amazing show. And I wanna make sure that I stress that, especially going into the finale which I really enjoyed. But the difficulty I think they've always had is with that pacing. We commented that the first half of this season unfolded very, very slow. Then around the midpoint, the past couple of episodes, it picked up really fast. And I thought, well, thank goodness, because there's so many things we need to get to. And even though I feel like I'm all over the place, I'm going to be glad if they wrap everything up. And then 12, it kind of comes almost to a screeching halt. And they give most of the weight to 13 to have to pick up all those pieces.
1: Yeah. They did have a great moment with Penny, which we'll get into. But I think you're right. We started this episode looking at the hotel as something to be feared. I mean, let's not forget Marina failed. People died. We saw Everett in the hospital totally mangled. This is a dangerous place. But then as soon as our magicians get in there, that's not what's really depicted.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I did really enjoy what you were saying. I thought it was vitally important that they anchored the episode by breaking Penny and Julia off into a separate storyline. They're not part of the heist. And periodically, we're going to go back and forth and we're going to check in on them. There is where you have the emotional weight. So -hmm. I think you could have just kept it with them and kept the heist parts a little more upbeat and light because it's very serious what's going on with him. It's a great look into that plot line and it is going to set up how they are maybe a bit separate from the rest of the group going into the finale. Oh, yeah. And they're going to come to a very different conclusion for their storyline together. So I thought that was really well handled. Well, because this is a musical episode, we need to talk about the music selection. We had Cruel to be Kind by Nick Lowe. Those were those opening scenes with Sir Effingham that we'll get to. Afraid by David Bowie, which Alice sings as she winds up knocking out that bellhop in the hallway. <laughs> Don't Give Up by Peter Gabriel. Those are the Alice and Elliot scenes together. And as we said, I want to be sedated by the Ramones for the ending
1: heist with the group. And that was a good song. I like that song, Choice.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, let's get into our plot and we'll start out with Penny and Julia's storyline that opens up in trying to figure out the problem of the transmitted powers. Julia has come to the conclusion they need to go talk to Penny's mom to figure out what she went through how they might manage this with her own pregnancy now. So they go to the hospital where Neela works. Julia speaks with her first and everything seems fine, but then Penny goes to
0: talk to her. You're going to be a father. That's. that's wonderful. It's wonderful.
4: That's why I'm here. I need to know um, everything you went through. When did you start hearing voices?
0: Uh, about three months into the pregnancy. At first, they thought it was a chemical imbalance. But after you were born, I started to get worse. They said the stress of parenting brought on a latent psychological disorder, probably one I'd inherited. The first time I had to send you away, I hear myself say that, and I still can't believe I did it. I'm so sorry.
4: Mom, I'm okay. I need you to tell me everything you can.
0: The voices went away when you did, and when you came back, so did they. Every time you came back, there was less and less of a little boy.
4: Mom, this isn't about me.
0: I wanted so much to raise you, love you, protect you. But what you needed protection from was me.
4: What? Mom?
0: Uh, I'm sorry. Someone's calling me. What is it? What do you need?
4: Mom, there's no one calling you.
2: Sure enough, as they're talking, she begins hearing voices yelling for her that aren't there. And we talked with Arjun a little bit about this on the interview. Just very emotionally wrought scenes and amazing acting on his part.
1: And I love the fact that he brought up that if this had been Penny Forty at this point, not Penny Forty before everything that happened to him, but at this point in his life or after life, he would have approached this a lot differently, a lot more forgiving. All that angst of being a human and living would be gone.
2: Yeah, that maybe he wouldn't have this deep-seated need for her to come back and be a mother in his life, that he would be accepting of, well, this hurts, but I understand why it needs to happen. But Penny 23 is still really looking for something there, and it is a huge blow that she's not going to be able to do that and almost willingly rejects it when Julia comes back to speak with her.
1: And looking at the pain that Penny must be feeling, because he's got to have some guilt behind that, even though he knows it's not really his fault, but there's got to be that seed of, it's because of my magic that this happened to her.
2: Of course.
1: And that compounded with, she looks like she's doing all right until he spends a few minutes in there, and now she's already going back into that state. That's got to be so heartbreaking.
2: The right thing to do is for you to do nothing, to leave. How hard is that as a concept to come to terms with when all you want to do is stay and love this person? So that amplifies next. Julia is watching on the cameras, and through the lens, she notices there's some kind of light cord tethering Penny to Neela. We don't fully understand what this is here, but we are going to learn about it in the finale, that it's a magical umbilical cord.
1: Yeah, it's a cool concept. I like it.
2: She thinks that she might be able to figure out a way to fix this, to cut it. And she goes to try to explain that to Neela, but first she needs to tell her about the existence of magic. I mean, she's already overwhelmed by that conversation. She can't even really take in what Julia is telling her. So, of course, she's going to start shutting down to her suggestion that they maybe try to work it out. And she says she just can't go through all of that again. She asks Julia to give something to Penny That turns out to be a picture of them together when he was young.
1: Oh, heartbroken again. you got to understand where the mom's coming from. She's already dealing with an almost lifelong thought of I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. And now she has a stranger, Julia, coming in saying magic exists.
2: And you're about to be a grandmother and there's this magical tether with your son, but I think we can cut it.
1: She must have thought right away, I'm freaking out. This isn't real. Sure. You know? Yeah. And that's why she ran like that. If you put it in that angle, it's understandable, but I'm sure that's not how Penny was seeing it.
2: Well, even the possibility that it is true, now I'm going to get hope again. It sounds like she went through that cycle many times when Penny was younger, being hopeful, him coming back it starting back up again, her being heartbroken. What if it doesn't work? What if they do come back? She just can't emotionally take going on that roller coaster again. But that's where we're going to leave it for them until the finale Next we go back over to the group where Marina is describing the Nave Hotel, the current home of the couple.
0: The Nave Hotel. Current home of the couple for two reasons. One, the house rules. Per a jamming spell, you can't do any battle magic, wards prevent traveling in and out, cell phones don't work, and if you're caught with any kind of weapon or engage in any sort of physical beef or try to scam the hotel or any of its guests, bye-bye. Idea being the name is the magical world's number one safe space, which is strictly enforced by the bellhops.
1: Arguable is allowed, physical altercation
4: is not.
0: The creepy... They're golems who've been enchanted to be empaths.
4: Goodbye, ladies.
0: They have to see you. But if they can, and you radiate the kind of microaggressions they sense, you get the boot. Or worse.
1: So last episode, I jokingly said it seems similar to the John Wick Hotel, just from the one-sentence explanation they gave us. But now that she broke it down, it is almost identical. And I don't mind it. I kind of love it. In John Wick, it's a continental hotel, and there's a chain of them. And there there's no fighting allowed, no doing business, and you can't carry out contracts. So if a fellow contract killer has a contract on his head, and you're chasing him, and he runs into the hotel, you cannot do anything about it. Safe zone. Yep, it's a <laughs> safe zone. <laughs> and there's some serious implications if you break those rules.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, because they are also golems, though, they lack... A certain degree of intellectual functioning this is purely based off of emotion which our group is going to play off of we'll see as they develop their plans
1: which I like that's cute
2: yeah and I like bringing the bottled emotion thing back I really enjoyed that as a plot line I know again magicians is uh, call it guilty call it smart however you interpret that they very often bring back ideas and sort of recalculate them and use them again.
1: Yeah, I like that. So
2: the golems have been used many different times in the past. This season, in fact, but in different ways. The bottled emotions, we haven't seen for a while. And I always liked that. But there's a second reason for the couple being here more importantly, and that's the vault, which is famously impenetrable. Marina thought it might be vulnerable during the Convergence. Even when the plan went awry, they just broke in there, but there was no world seed. And because it took so long to crack, they were discovered by the bellhops. Fenn says this makes sense because the world seed can only live when the temperature is 99 degrees with 99% humidity. The vault is freezing, so they're not keeping it in there.
1: So they do have the advantage of working off of the mistakes that Marina already did. So they're a step ahead than Marina was.
2: Mm -hmm. And they're all together for the most part. You know, we've talked about coming into the end of every season is the only time you actually get to see all of the magicians come together as a group.
1: Yeah. I mean, next episode, legit, they were all together in one room. I like that.
2: Which is when they're strongest and they do typically break off into teams. They're going to do the same thing here. But in addition to them, you also have Marina and Zelda working with them this time. And I really love this next scene. Probably my favorite part of the episode where Katie magically constructs this miniature model of the hotel so that the group can plan their heist.
1: Looks so cool.
2: And it sort of just starts popping open building from the bottom up. We had heard this is mostly visual effects that you're seeing, but there was some form of a practical model that they built to start off with.
1: Yeah, and I think once it was built, they had a practical model there. Mm-hmm. For sure.
2: I would love to see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She points out there's a room 30 degrees hotter than all of the others, so this is where the seed must be. The backstory of it we get really quickly, and again, given how important that's going to be in the finale, I wish this had been gone into more. It's in a couple of sentences they say that the seed once belonged to Magnus Delacorte. We don't know anything about him. Where did he get the seed? How did this happen? Probably because it's very different in the books, and we are going to talk about that later on in our closer look. But here, it turns out he was best friends with George and Paloma Balls,
1: a.k.a. the Balls. A.k.a. the couple. Mm -hmm. Now, Paloma, I was pleasantly surprised when we finally meet her in the beginning of this episode. I know her. Well, not personally. The actress's name is Carmela Zumbado, and she plays Delilah in You, season two.
2: Okay, so you know her. Yes. I haven't seen this.
1: So that's two or three characters now Mm. that Sarah Gamble's hooking up. I like that.
2: Yep. Yeah. Well, they go on to say Magnus died and the couple stole the seed from him. The group deduces they must be keeping it inside an incubated pocketbook. Uh, and another one, Zelda thinks, oh, I have a great idea. We can use this conductor spell. It was created by a conductor who was going blind so that he and his orchestra could communicate. With that, each person only hears the conductor never one another. So you're not sort of yelling over each other the way when they had that one key that allowed them to all communicate together. Yeah. Which was used in the last musical episode. To so this feels That's like... That's what I was going to say. Just a remix of that. And it's this spell and baton we hadn't heard of. I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff being thrown out there. Mm-hmm. But
1: I like the way Marina treats these scenes. They're actually really fun to watch.
2: Yeah, well, and they're saved by the Marina-Zelda interactions, for sure. She says that it won't set off hotel protections because it's innocuous in nature. It was designed to help artists. Marina agrees to be the conductor, using the baton to operate the spell, and the rest are given their tasks. However, there's a problem here, because it turns out Sir Effingham was in range of the spell. He hears this, enters, and pleads for their help to assassinate the person who's going to be responsible for killing Fillory Julia, he just needs his hero, this time to assassinate her. Now, of course, the group is enraged. And as they start yelling and fighting, Effingham starts singing and dancing. Here we get cruel to be kind. The main point of this turns out to be they realize during the song they all hurt each other. So why is this going on? It's going to happen when they have a strong emotion. So Alice decides to have them all bottle their emotions before the heist. After doing this, we are ready to go. Pete smuggles the group into the hotel inside a magically extended suitcase. A la Fantastic Beasts.
1: Yeah. But this one seems a little more tight. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I heard on another interview the way that they did this was to build a version of that room with the bed. And there was a tunnel that went underneath into another room. Oh, cool. So that they could all just start kind of climbing up. I like that. Which made me feel very claustrophobic listening to that. Oh, I would have loved it. But it works really well, that image of them just kind of climbing out.
1: I'm sure that took many takes. Mm. Okay, do that again, but more slowly.
2: (laughs) As they disperse, Pete distracts the couple by arranging a meeting over a bottle of wine. He's allotted 36 minutes. Meanwhile, the group searches the room for the bag. Fen finds that the couple has been translating the World Seed page wrong, Mm. and they're ready to leave when Psycho Fog enters and takes Josh, Margo, and Fen captive.
1: No one thought of Fog, huh?
2: And no one's going to think of him again next episode when he also comes in to seemingly ruin everything, although it turns out he's actually saving everything because it's I, real
1: fog. I'd like to point out, and I know we're not there yet, but I believed in him the whole time. <laughs> when you were like, no, maybe that's still psycho. I was like, no, that's ours. That's our fog, and he knows something we don't.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And meanwhile, the bellhop finds out Pete lied about the bottle and kicks him out for deceit. I mean, how did we not... Plan for the. It's just such silly mistakes. Yeah. And you'd think that would be the end of everything once Pete is found out? Now, the guards do start coming after them. One stops Elliot and Katie and has them by the throats when Alice's bottle breaks and releases back her emotions. She bursts into song, here singing Afraid, and the bellhop is temporarily knocked out due to an empath overload. Meanwhile, the couple finds the others, and Fen tells them they're translating this page incorrectly. She can do it right if they spare her friends. She says the first thing you need to do is explain to the seed exactly what you want and why. If you lie, it refuses to grow. Again, a foreshadow for next episode. The couple says they have made powerful enemies here, one of which cursed them to not be able to have any children. They want to create a new world where they can have a family. And back in the other room, Elliot stays to help Alice, taking a small sip of his emotions back and encouraging her to talk to him. This was a very touching scene where they're singing that song. Now, the problem is I really don't like this song, Don't uh, Give Up. Yeah, The words, yes, make complete sense. It just doesn't really feel like the right choice for me. And I do love both of their voices. But early on in the song, as well as Afraid, which Alice was just singing, it sounds like they're trying to auto-tune their voices, Elements that were good about Olivia Taylor Dudley's singing, they were trying to amplify. It just...
1: There was moments where it didn't feel right.
2: It it wasn't quite right. But then when you heard the natural voice of the two of them, somewhere about midway through the song, I said, oh, there it is. That's beautiful. Why are they messing with it? You know, why are they trying to change the the sound quality? But it, it also starts this idea that I really like for Alice. I know I've talked about her a ton this season, but I think she has one of the if not the, most rewarding arcs start to finish in The Magicians. I mean, that's really going to pay off in the finale with the interactions and what she finds out about herself, how she's able to help the group. But it begins here because she's coming to terms with not having one of her hands. And we really wondered, is that something that's going to continue on? And it turns out, yes, she's going to be one-handed. She's going to have to learn how to cast one-handed. Right now, she can still do... Such minimal magic that way, and in the song, she's talking about how she's grappling with if she's not the best, the smartest student, the best magician, the way she's defined herself her whole life, who is she? Mm. And she went through a piece of that being a niffin when she had all the knowledge in the world. Oh, yeah, and when and it was power. taken from her, she thought, How do I go back to being a human? What is this? Then she loses Quentin, the person that's most important to her in this world, and now she's lost the ability to to cast magic the way she knows she could if those fingers were just there and so she's kind of singing to Elliot about that what do I do you know who, who am I now so I think there's going to be a few interactions here and then obviously her with Santa and Zelda that are going to teach her you're more than just that
1: absolutely and I love that
2: in fact there's a tip-off but we don't know it here she has an idea and sends a paper airplane message magically out the window. We hmm. won't see to the end of the episode who it was for. While this is happening, Katie goes to take care of Fog. And when she's seemingly caught, she tricks him into drinking from her flask. We find out it was laced with Archie. So Fog is sent to the etheric realm, where they're hoping everyone's too high to notice there's two of them. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that's not going to work. Meanwhile, at the apartment... Anna tracks down the heist book using a locator spell and comes to confront Marina. It seems like this is going to end disastrously. You know, she breaks the baton, they're in the middle of trying to do the heist and they can't communicate with each other, and Marina gets brutally honest with her, thinking if Anna can't love her or accept her for who she really is, they're finished. And Anna leaves, but luckily Zelda is able to fix the baton and they are able to get things back on track. And this is where we approach the culminating scenes. In the nave, when the group is discovered, Elliot takes the rest of his emotions back and Margot, Katie, and Fenn do the same, leading to our final song, I Want to Be Sedated.
1: Really funny scenes with Josh in that. I knew he was going to fall.
2: Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. Over the that suitcase carrier well, thing. I don't yeah. know what you call it. The couple is having Fenn translate when the group enters and takes Paloma hostage, causing George to grab Fenn. Margot informs them they've cranked the AC in the room, so if they don't give up the seed, it will die. She's momentarily distracted when the bag's incubator fritzes out, but pulls a gun and shoots George. (laughs) Whoa, like big move, we just jump right over. They grab the seed and run out, with Fen hiding it somewhere warm and moist. Hilarious. (laughs) And that's when Alice shares her plan, and they run to the roof where Santa comes to rescue them.
1: And that's when we get the hilarious scene when he says, ho, 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 motherfuckers.
2: He is so good.
1: Now, I feel badly for some of our Clatchers because, and I didn't notice this until I was getting clips. If you watch it live, the cussing is in there. But for some reason on their website, if you try to stream it, all the cussing has gone. So it just says, ho, 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 mother. And that's it. Oh, my
2: goodness. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Uh It's already kind of silly to begin with but they're going to redeem it with the opening of the finale scene.
1: I love Santa. So, Christina, for the balls, what do you rate this episode?
2: Well, unfortunately, while I liked it, I did feel it was, for me, the weakest of this season, and I gave my lowest to episode four at a 6.5, so I'm going to give this one a 6
1: surges. Again, for me, what's working against it is the fact that it is the penultimate episode of the series, and that truly bothers me. But if you take a step back and you look at the scenes with Penny and the meaning behind those and the really funny moments in this episode, although it's not going to be my highest, I'm not going to go as low as you because I have a heart.
2: Um, You said you didn't like it as much compared to other musical episodes. We didn't love the song choice. The pacing doesn't quite make sense because it's the penultimate episode. So basically, you're just saying you like the Penny Julia scenes, which I did too.
1: (laughs) I'm going to go seven surges.
2: Okay, that's fair, because that's your lowest for the season as well.
1: And keep in mind, we're grading these episodes based off of the magicians themselves. So they're battling themselves. It's just not their best episode.
2: No, and knowing that I really do like the finale, right now I'm looking at it in hindsight, the two compared, Mm -hmm. it's got to get a much lower rating than I'm going to give 13.
1: And let's move over to Twitter at CKC Podcast where we asked our Clatchers this week who was your MVM. Penny and Julia, Alice and Elliot, Zelda and Marina, and Fenn. Fenn got her own column.
2: Well, she deserves it, right?
1: Absolutely. Coming in at fourth place with seven point eight percent is Penny and Julia.
2: Oh no, my favorite part. <laughs>
1: They're my favorite part as well, but if we're grading it as far as storyline, getting the seed, what's really, dare I say, important. To To,
2: to the major plot line, yes. yes. And I could see, especially if you hadn't seen the finale yet, and you didn't know that, as I mentioned earlier, Penny and Julia are going to kind of separate onto their own path after all this ends.
1: A really important path as well.
2: But you're just thinking, well, they didn't move the whole storyline forward a lot. Coming in third place with 9.4% were Zelda and Marina. No, again, clearly not as influential as the rest of the group who's in there doing the heist, but I think critical to the success Absolutely. of everything going down. Marina has the important information about the nave. Zelda tells them about the conductor spell. Marina- and they're, they're just really funny together.
1: Yeah, and we can't forget that Marina finally... Stuck up for herself with her girlfriend and said, if you don't like me for who I am, Mm -hmm. then we're not meant to be together anyways. I'm not going to change.
2: And that is such a hard thing when we reflect on multiple timelines, her trying to get together with her, coming here, having that goal, changing herself.
1: I know, with a spell.
2: And it, it almost brings the reunion together with the group because it took this and the importance of what they're doing to remind Marina of who she is, and she can use that power for good, as she does here, even without a spell.
1: And in second place, with 39.1%, is Alice and Elliot.
2: Yeah, coming a close second, and I think that other people probably really did enjoy the emotional resonance between the two of them.
1: They did a lot of the work during the heist.
2: Mm-hmm. But coming in first place, with 43.8%, is Fenn. And her amazing moments are going to continue into the finale. We've been saying it for a while now. The fact that she is a true Mm Felorian is something that the group would not have been able to do everything they're doing right up until the end if they didn't have her as a very critical part of it.
1: And if I remember correctly, she won last week with Elliot. So good on you, Fen.
2: And two weeks before that with Margot. Wow. She's killing it.
1: It must be because she came on our podcast.
2: Oh, we gave her good luck.
1: Yes, we did. (laughs) Just kidding.
2: (laughs) Oh, But we predicted that her storyline hopefully would start to unfold more, especially in terms of her relationship with Elliot and with Margot. And we're getting to see so much of that now in the latter half of the season. Uh, Kudos to Brittany Curran for not giving that away during the interview, but it's amazing to watch.
1: And if it wasn't for Fenn and her fast thinking... They might not have left there with a seed that was still living.
2: I mean, what she had to do with that is just uh, pretty amazing. (laughs) So let's see what our Clatchers had to say. Bert says, Ember's Balls, that was a close one. After it took a day for Sci-Fi to actually put the recent episode up, I was able to watch, and duh, MVM is fan. Some network better pick this show up because Brittany Curran, wow.
1: Yeah, we're all hoping it gets picked up.
2: And Ember's Balls just has to be a... Regular slang terminology we all use now, right?
1: It's got to be put into the Urban Dictionary. Yeah. (laughs) Kelly says, every week my mom and I get into a debate about who should be MVM. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. We watched the episode, listened to the pod together. Her response this week was, you know, every time I'm going to say Elliot. (laughs) I told her, trust me, we can all relate this season. Um, This was an Elliot season for sure.
2: Well, ready for this? Elliot has won the polls, whether alone or together seven times this season. Mm. That's way more than any other character has taken polls in the entirety of The Magicians. Maybe any show we've watched. I don't think anybody's won seven times in a row.
1: No, I don't think so.
2: Brian says, Fen, she knew just how to deal with the couple from her admiration of the knives and getting under their skin with her are you sure you'd make the best parents comment? (laughs) Yeah, that was great. (laughs) Hillary agrees with Fen saying she played a key role in distracting the couple and uh, secured the world (laughs) seed. Love the Penny Julia story, too. I usually like their musical episodes, but this one missed the mark for me. Yeah, I think that's kind of a common feeling. Nathan says, I agree. I particularly enjoyed the Penny Julia stuff, but as far as musicals go, it's probably my least favorite, kind of underwhelmed by the song choices outside of want to be sedated. Still liked it, though.
1: Oh, he agrees with us.
2: I also think you're comparing it to last year's musical, which Mm -hmm. just... Blew me away. It was good. And having a mix of strong but also emotional songs and moments, I think they were trying to recapture that. It was just magic last time. (laughs) Pardon the pun. Sherry Ava says it was so much fun watching the musical episode. The Ramones have a special place in my heart, and so does the gutsy voice of Jade Taylor, who rocked, who totally rocked in character. My second choice is Alice and Elliot. They figured out how to move the plot forward by overwhelming the empathic bellhops with a surge of emotion that allowed our team to execute an Ocean's Eight daring Daring heist.
1: Heist. Absolutely.
2: In the end, though, my vote goes to Fen, who figured out the couple's motivation, their translation was incorrect, offered her help in exchange for her friend's safety, and planted the world seed in a warm and moist place. (laughs) That explains her skirt. Oh, no. Any ideas on how Saving Fillory, Julia's Pregnancy, Magical Umbilical Cord, World Seed, and Effingham all fit together? I'm having trouble visualizing everything. Well, yeah, so now we know, but couldn't have been seen before, how the Penny-Julia thing was going to tie in. Yeah. And having that time loop, just sort of connecting everything for us. Sir Effingham, I, I, I don't know what to say about that.
1: <laughs> it just came off a little silly for me, that's yeah. all. yeah. Aaron had an issue with uh, the episode not being up on Amazon or Sci Fi. Yeah, I guess that yeah, was so an issue a for A couple
2: everyone. people did.
1: Be Nice said, Good episode, but not nearly enough of Jay Taylor and her amazing vocals, loving the unraveling of the magical umbilical cord storyline. But it's hard to invest in an arc that will probably not see a conclusion without a pickup from another network.
2: It's going to end, much as everything else ends, with a mini conclusion, but much left open for the future. Which, once we get to the finale, is actually something I enjoyed about what they did.
1: So the Acting the Heck Out of the Episode Award goes to Arjun Gupta. Yes. Also, generally armed with only her quick wit and snarky comebacks, good thing Margot brought the gun with the fun this time. (laughs) And Josh tripping on the luggage cart. Luggage cart, that's what it's called. (laughs) Maybe the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, yeah. Well said.
2: Sure, too. Todd says, I hate to say it, but none of this would have been possible without Marina and Zelda. Yeah, it's a good
1: point. Treason Snow, Fen. Honorable mention to Margot, who always acts fast in a clutch situation and can aim a pistol.
2: Yeah. The Viking wants a write-in for Katie. They made us wait to the end of the episode to hear Jade Taylor sing, but it was worth it and awesome. Josh says it has to be Alice. Fen may have gotten the world seed, but Alice is the one who got them away from the couple before they could get it back. True. And that will continue along.
1: And Amir says, amazing episode. Sadly, it'll be our last musical episode. Love seeing the cast together in another heist. They're always so much fun to watch. My vote went to Alice and Elliot, especially because of their amazing duet. Well said, everyone. So, Christina, with that being said, and we know our Clatcher's thoughts, what are yours? We should just piss everyone off, because they always wanted all the above. So the last two, we just say all of the above. Oh, (laughs) no. Just kidding.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm going to have to say Penny and Julia because theirs was the part of the storyline I enjoyed the most here. And I know I'm not going to give it to them for the finale. uh, But I do also really enjoy the way their full arc went throughout this season and came to a close. Mm -hmm. So knowing they're going to get resolution on that next time and this really pushed in this episode towards that, it makes a lot of sense. And I liked the, um, the emotional scenes.
1: I like where your head's at. I was leaning towards Penny and Julia as well, but because you gave it to them, I feel a little more freedom to go with Fenn.
2: <laughs> nice.
1: Well, it looks like this will be a long episode because we still have Fillory and Further to go.
2: And so much happens there. My goodness.
1: This is it. This is our last episode we ever review on The Magicians. I feel weird. Also, do you realize this is the third show we've said goodbye to this year?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, let's do it. Episode 13, Fillory and Further, written by Gamble and Myers, directed by Chris Fisher, IMDb is giving this an 8.8. The critics say there was no way The Magicians was going to be able to wrap up its five-year run without displeasing fans simply by ending. But Fillory and Further provided a surprising amount of closure and a happier conclusion than we're used to with this show.
1: Well, right off the bat, we expected, it's been five years, so at this point, we knew the last episode is going to be chock full of a million things happening, so we expected that. But everything in this episode was either interesting, a surprise, magically amazing, and then sad Mm -hmm. with the turn off of a button. That was beautifully done, the way they did that.
2: Magician season finales always leave me excited and frustrated because I'm enjoying everything that's happening. But in retrospect, I'm so angry saying, why didn't you cover some of this earlier in the season? We had all this time and I felt like the main points never get a chance to breathe. I almost wished that we did not have last episode and this one was a two-hour finale, especially given it was the end of the series.
1: Or we had last episode and this one was a two-hour finale. Ideally, Because that would have (laughs) been, I think us and our clatchers would have been a little more forgiving in the fact that the last one was a musical If we had two hours now, Mm -hmm. or even a part one, part two, make next week the last week or something.
2: But if they were limited to 13 episodes, we could have done a part one, part two.
1: Last week and this week. Right. Yeah.
2: There was just so many things, especially knowing that this could be the end of everything. And they had said the creators wrote it that way to leave it open. I feel that very much. And there were some character arcs I really, really enjoyed. I thought they came completely full circle just as bullet points. I was really glad that we brought the Chatwins back into the story and we ended on that.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: The Beast was, in my opinion, the best adversary they've had throughout the course of this show. I couldn't have been happier with him coming back and being the real enemy we had to come to terms with.
1: Although he wasn't much harm in the end. But the twist that he was there and the fact that he was looming, there was enough weight in our knowledge of the beast, that it still felt impactful the whole time.
2: Well, and he would have been if not for the extraordinary actions This is the whole reason Mm. time loops were created the first time around with Jane Chatwin to try to do this. Turns out we had to do it again, this time with a different Plum Chatwin. Yeah. And our Dean Fogg coming in to make sure you don't mess it up again because you did the first time around. Zelda sacrificing herself and Rupert, Seemingly sacrificing himself. He winds up living, but they all had to sort of keep the beast at bay. And I think if Fillory wasn't out and out destroyed, we might not have taken him down.
1: No, I don't think we would have.
2: I've mentioned, and I'll keep saying it, how much I liked Alice's storyline. Margot and Fenn's stories were amazing. I was disappointed with Elliot's ending. Him not winding up with Margot somewhere or someplace feels incredibly wrong.
1: Yeah, he's without anybody that he loved. I mean, he's got friends, but Margot, the Dark King, Quentin, but there's a new possible interest, which I almost forgot.
2: I see the point of, and they did lay track for this. I like, I like Charlton and him, but on Elliot's side, it almost felt like settling because he had nothing else.
1: I hope that they just become really good friends and maybe they have, we've seen it with Elliot before, a physical friendship the dating is not going to work because Charlton knows too much about him. He's literally been in his head.
2: I think that's the good part about it. No, it's but too lopsided. You, what you need to really understand Elliot, he doesn't open up very easily, right? We saw that's why the closest relationship he has, was, has is with Margot because he does tell her things. She does know about his dark secrets and what he struggles with and she still loves him. Okay. And Charlton does too. It's like you go through life early on looking for these relationships that are passionate and amazing. All the things that Elliot's been searching for. But I think Charlton puts it perfectly at the end. This might not be that, but I'm the guy who knows you and I'm the guy who's sticking around. So I think Charlton for Elliot is good. Elliot for Charlton, already over the course of the past season, he's lost two great loves of his life. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's still on that journey to figuring out who he is. I think we discussed how they gave a lot of book elements from Quentin to different characters throughout the course of this season. We had thought the professor role was going to Penny, but really, this is more of how Quentin ended up teaching. I have nothing else. Maybe if I go back to break bills, I'll find some happiness.
1: So that's how Quentin ends up doing it in the books?
2: And then he's there and he's realizing this still isn't doing it for me. Sort of the place Elliot's in right now.
1: Wow, and Arjun was able to keep that quiet with us.
2: (laughs) Well, that's not where we end Quentin's story, and we are going to talk about that later on in this episode, now that we've finally reached the conclusion.
1: I'm hoping now that Magicians has ended, so our podcasting booklet will be a little thinner. It won't be as heavy for us. We'll still have Westworld, and we'll still have our three Patreon podcasts, but I'm hoping I'll be able to dive back into the book and start reading that.
2: Yeah, I think you should. Were there any disappointments for you as far as characters ending up somewhere?
1: I have no disappointment with where Penny's character went. It is amazing. It's quite beautiful that he's stronger now with the baby. He has his magic back. It's weird that he has to touch the baby, though.
3: It's
2: not really his magic.
1: Yeah, but he seems stronger and happier. I would like to have seen what he was talking about in that last scene. Obviously, they were looking for a place to start their life, right?
2: First, they were looking for their friends. So none of them knew where Margot, Josh, Alice, and Fenn went, really, or if they could get to them, if they could see them. So they were going to try to figure that out because Julia says, I know that you're not happy. We're going on another quest. Mm. And he's like, yeah, but we got to find our friends. Would they end up staying with them there or continuing on? We don't really know.
1: So that would have been nice to see them kind of plop in right before she presses the button or Mm -hmm. something. That'd be cool. But we don't know. And I'm not upset with it. I think I can come up with my own storyline now, which is great. But I guess it's a little concerning for me that he didn't end up being one of the magicians actually there fixing it. Mm -hmm. He did save the world, but in a different way.
3: And
2: he saved Margo. And he was...
1: Oh, yeah, he did save Margo. I forgot about that. He was
2: inadvertently... Come with
1: me if you want to live.
2: Not inadvertently, but more on the sidelines helping to save it in the book as well. They had to come to him for assistance but he wasn't with the group creating the new world and all of that he did have his own power though he had finally discovered his own power another thing we'll talk about and i guess this is their version of doing that it's also not the same for julia they both got a big rewrite where that's concerned
1: see but with julia i wasn't upset that she wasn't a main part this season because last season was all julia
3: Mm -hmm.
1: but did penny have a season i know he won mvp after season two but it was there a season that was really about him ever no right no this one was really about Elliot and margo and towards the end Fenn.
2: well this is bonus material but if you go back and look at who won mvm polls the most for us throughout the season one was penny
1: throughout all seasons yes for us or the clatchers for us
2: well for one we didn't have a clatcher poll
1: Oh, that's right. So that
2: was just us. There on out, it was Clatcher voting and who won the most. Okay. So the only one Penny ever won was one based on us giving it to him.
1: Okay. But we're biased. And I guess we should move into plot because there's so much to talk about. But I do have to stress that I truly, truly loved this ending. And I love the way it is open-ended enough but it is closed enough if this is it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's resolution for our story, but you get the feeling the characters are continuing on and those adventures will just
1: keep going. Absolutely. And before I forget, I've had this reminder up and I know I'll forget. I just wanted to remind our Clatchers one last time. And now you might be more inclined to get it because it's over. We have that free CKC wallpaper for your phones, tablets, and computers. So just go to coffeeclatscrew.com, scroll down on the homepage, you'll see it says free wallpapers. Click there and download it.
2: Well, we open up the finale with Alice waking to Christmas decorations that Santa just couldn't resist. <laughs> he reveals he was the one to put the page in a locked drawer of Quentin's desk for Alice to find.
0: You, you gave me
4: that? So what the page turned out to say.
0: It was, it's a spell that. Grew a seed into a world, but why did you put it there? What if I'd ignored it?
4: But you didn't. You needed something. Get back in the game. You weren't going to pass on a mystery you thought your guy was working on. That page and wherever that quest took you wasn't his story. It was yours, Alice. For what it's worth, I think he'd be really proud of you, the way you keep on fighting. I told you, I told you you
1: were good."
2: But as the others awake, he disappears.
1: So it was never Quinton's? No. Wow. That's a twist right there. Mm-hmm. And Santa's been involved this whole season then. He's been integral.
2: Since we met him yeah. interacting with Alice, really. And not just that, but he left gifts for everyone.
3: <laughs>
2: Elliot gets a bracelet. Zelda a pipe. I kind of wanted to see her smoking on that right at the <laughs> very end. Uh, Margot Margo the necklace. Fenn the knife sharpener, and Penny, baby shit. Quote-unquote. They're enjoying this until a bunny delivers the message, Fillory needs you now.
1: And at this point, we don't realize how important these gifts are. Mm -hmm. And neither do they.
2: Not yet. The Dark King is planning to open the portal to the Underworld that night, so they strategize a plan. Margot and Elliot will go to Fillory, operate Umber's Ark, and then go to the Clockwork Dwarf, turning back time and traveling out before the end. On Earth, Team World Seed, including Alice, Fenn, and Zelda, will retrieve the seed and bloom it in the Netherlands, because circumstances are more stable there. Alice thinks New Fillery should be able to grow a wellspring.
1: There's a lot of shoulds. Right away, I'm thinking that these strategies are very slim. I'm worried that they're not going to be able to pull it off.
2: Well, and even though the group is coming back together, we always say that's a highlight of the finale. They're stronger when they work together. These plans are just being made and changed on the fly as though they haven't known there's going to be an apocalypse for quite some time. It just feels like they're flying by the seat of their pants. It's constantly making me nervous.
1: But like you said, it's really nice to see them all in one room. I like the fact that Margot kept calling Plum
3: Peach. Peach.
1: (laughs) It just reminded me that it's hard to get into Margot's circle. And I think Fen finally made it. Mm -hmm. But Peach had a long way to go. (laughs) Yeah,
2: she sure did.
1: (laughs) Do you remember how she used to talk to Quentin, it seemed like Elliot in season one was very welcoming and Margot wasn't.
2: Oh, Margot. Yeah. Towards Quentin. Well, next we have our first snag. As Julia's water breaks and they take her to see Lipson, Katie is contacted by their fog, who was spit out by the etheric realm when they sent Psycho Fog there. So it turns out you can't have two at the same time. Thank goodness it sends us our fog back, but he can't speak. He's yelling and seemingly driven crazy. Now, we never get an answer to this. Is this just from spending so much time there? Is it almost like withdrawal and it'll go away eventually? They make it seem like it won't.
1: No, it's not going to. He kind of says it. You're on 24-hour acid, so it basically just fries everything. So he's always going to have a cat now in his hands.
2: This is crazy. I mean, (laughs) the way people can or cannot get their powers back in this world continues to mystify me. <laughs> I just, and there's a lot of this last time around touching things. We'll do it. If fog's touching the cat, if, if Penny's touching the baby, oh, yeah. it's like,
1: <laughs> wow. Didn't think of it that way. But from the beginning, I had a feeling and we touched upon this earlier. He knows something cause he's panicky, but not in a, what's going on. It was almost as if I have something so important to tell you guys and I can't. <laughs>
2: I was very thrown off for a long time, though, because the look didn't seem purposeful. Like, just trust me, this is really important. It was crazed. Because
1: so he's also I knew crazy. they wanted
2: you to think it could be Psycho because sure. he's trying to steal the seed. But I really was toying with either that or this Fog's just gone. You know, he's just snapped and... um We're not going to get the real fog back.
1: I knew it was our fog because the suit he was wearing.
2: Oh, no, I mean, it could be our fog, but he'll never be that guy again, let's say, because of what he's went through. Mm. And I guess maybe he wouldn't have if she hadn't thought of this solution. But we don't know that yet. Lipson is preparing to sever the energetic umbilical cord, but she's never done that before. And then they see the fog they tried to sedate has disappeared. We don't know where he went. A little while later, Julia gives birth to a healthy baby girl. But as Lipson prepares to cut the tether, Dean Fogg rushes back and slashes it down the middle. Rip it off. (laughs) So it really appears as though he's trying to do harm, at least that's how Penny's seeing it.
1: Of course. I would too if I was Penny.
2: Meanwhile, the others go to ask for Hyman's help to travel them. Penny doesn't have his powers, they can't trust Plum's traveling abilities, so Hyman's really the only one left. He's opposed to this idea until Charlton suggests taking his body and letting Hyman exist on the astral plane. So Charlton would be able to use the physical body to travel people, which would have been amazing. And Hyman agrees with one condition. As long as Charlton does, quote, weird sex things with (laughs) his body.
1: You gotta love Hyman.
2: Yeah, this is a great line. After they perform the spell and it works, he says, this is the best episode ever. (laughs) Unfortunately, Charlton can't quite get a hold of the traveling quick enough. And Margot insists they're running out of time. Anyway, she knows a shortcut to the portal tree. So they leave without him.
1: You know, what got me is I didn't think Charlton would be able to travel because I always assumed it wasn't about the body that had the magic. It was about the soul, for lack of a better word.
2: Or the knowledge, we see they have to study and train on how to do these things. Even travelers need to learn in classes. Maybe eventually,
1: Maybe. Charlton could be taught. But then that's going on the principle that the body itself had the magic.
2: Well, I think any magician has a degree of magic.
1: Yeah, but was he, he wasn't a traveler. That's what I mean.
2: Charlton, I don't think we ever know what his... Right. I don't, I'm not sure.
1: He would have been able to travel if he was... You would think so. But they did utilize Margot as a, let's move this story forward. And she literally pushed everyone forward. She kept
2: doing that the entire <laughs> time. And unfortunately, in Fillory, Rupert starts performing magic to open the portal. Checking the royal census scroll, the group sees the Florians are being raptured. It's just not really happening fast enough. It's then Elliot disappears as Rupert summons him to the Taker Realm for help sealing the door after Lance comes through. It actually works. But as Lance walks through and moves to touch Rupert, he pulls back at the last minute, and Lance reveals himself to actually be Martin, the Beast in disguise this whole time.
1: No! (laughs) (laughs) Hello, big brother! Save me, Rupert. I love you so. You're still so predictable. Your soft heart, your stubbornness,
4: your stupidity. What did you do to him? Who? Lance. Never even met him. He must have moved on centuries ago. (laughs) Spent some time in the library with my batty old writer friend, Cassandra, reading about the lengths you were going to to save him. You didn't work nearly so hard to save me from plover, did you? Of course I did. Until I couldn't. I had to save everyone from you. You chose the dark (laughs) path. Says the Dark King. Anyway, reading about you made me realize, after everything you did to stop me, you were going to give me everything I needed
1: to have Fillory forever. Well, there's a big twist that I did not see coming.
2: One that I love.
1: Absolutely. Now you have brother against brother. You remember how powerful the beast was? He's been fighting the whole time to get back.
2: Pretending to be his brother's long-lost lover, which is so twisted. (laughs) Coming back himself from the dead, which he could only do by exploiting Rupert in this way. And it did always kind of go back to their relationship and the Chatwin's initial time in Fillory. So it makes a lot of sense to do this.
1: Again, a rule that I'm curious about. Not a big deal. It probably wasn't established, but... I would have assumed once you're dead, you don't have the magic powers anymore. Because travelers, once they died, wouldn't they just travel outside of the underworld? He didn't until... Until he walked through the door. Rupert brought him back. And then he had... Okay. The
2: magic to bring him back to life worked. That's uh, why he needed him to do that.
1: Yeah, I just assumed they weren't alive. They were basically walking dead.
2: No, I think that was why this was all so difficult and he needed such powerful magic. He wanted to bring back... The real Lance, not just a copy of him. Gotcha. Martin says he spent time in the library with Cassandra. Would have liked to see that, by the way. Add her to our ongoing list that we'll cover in the bonus Mm. of loose threads we never got to. But he learned about the lengths Rupert was willing to go to save Lance. He didn't work nearly so hard to save him from Plover. It just goes back to the very tragic story of Martin and how things wound up this way, how much he endured the fact that he was shut out of Fillory, that he partially blamed Rupert for never trying hard enough to either stop this abuse, help him get out of there, or help him find a way back here. Mm. And then you see it from the other side too, Rupert saying he did everything he could until Martin was so far gone that he had to save his people from him because he had essentially turned into the beast.
1: I think I asked this last year, but I forget the answer. Do you? Th- who do you think would win, the beast or the monster?
2: That's a tough question. I'm going to say the monster because...
1: He was powerful enough to kill he gods. He was almost
2: godlike, um, a creation of the gods, whereas Martin started off a man and was just willing to go to so many lengths to up his power.
1: Yeah. I agree.
2: It'd be a crazy fight, though. It's then the Beast freezes Elliot and Rupert, opening the door to let the takers through. And as he turns his attention to Elliot, really a very scary moment. He calls him the sad little addict and almost crumples, contorts his fingers.
3: Mm.
2: I don't know how they filmed that, if that was Hale Appleman holding, because I can't even do that with my hands right now.
1: (laughs) He's got big hands. He probably (laughs) just contorted them.
2: But Rupert manages to unfreeze himself, kind of showing the strength of his power. Whatever spell he put on him, he's able to break through it and travel them both out at the last minute before they can be killed.
1: So what's good is what we were feeling the entire season, that the Dark King isn't necessarily evil like his brother. He was desperate to do something that was really messed up. He was desperate enough to do something that was really messed up. So he's not a good guy, quote unquote, but... He's not a bad guy. Yeah.
2: He's not a bad guy either. And you do get this very emotional moment after he gets them out of there and they're in Whitespire. Elliot admits the plan was to destroy Fillory in order to destroy Rupert. And they both are saying they care about each other. You can see Elliot thinking if you could have just let the past go, maybe we would have had a chance together. And maybe all of this wouldn't have happened and Fillory wouldn't have needed to die It's probably the most charged interactions and ending to a character arc that we get for anyone, the stuff with Elliot, because of that. But you also get this amazing sacrifice that Rupert volunteers to stay behind, hold off the dead and his brother, and reluctantly Elliot leaves him hoping there's some way he can get out of there alive, but not
1: really believing it. So in this episode, we finally see everybody do their part and everyone did just enough to complete their goals. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't only Zelda, which we'll get to in a second, but it was also Rupert who fought them off as well for as long as possible. Elliot
2: and having to leave him, and he thinks let him die.
1: We could point out everybody, which we will. Mm-hmm. Margo later on, she was willing to die.
2: Yep. Well, next in the Netherlands library, Zelda produces a container to keep the seed safe for a short time. But Fog shows up and magically grabs it from them. As they're trying to formulate another plan, the Beast approaches. Zelda hurriedly takes them to a back warded room and insists Alice and Fen use the portal to get away. She tells Alice, you can only control the forces inside of you, and one hand is plenty. Again, just a lot of characters needing to say, I'm willing to leave. Yeah. Even though that's not what they want to do in order to accomplish the mission, it's not even to save themselves, but to keep the plan moving forward.
1: Absolutely, and I like the fact that in the end, Zelda is 100% good. Last year, we broke it down so much, and it's very similar to The Dark King, but we see Zelda makes up for it, and then some in this one.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, we don't get any last return to her daughter, any final words, which I had felt so much that there was a lack of closure there. But in a way, I think there is sort of a mothering-type relationship with Alice, and there always has been and she's giving her those words of wisdom in the last minute and also saying, well, it's not the end for her. It never is for any
1: librarian. She just transfers. She'll be with Penny. Penny 40. 40.
2: Maybe maybe they'll be helping to rule that branch in the underworld together. Maybe. Having brunches with Benedict. (laughs) So she stays to initiate permafrost, closing the fountains, which is a big deal. It stops the dead from being able to travel to other worlds, so they're all locked inside of Fillory.
1: It stops everyone from being able to. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, the fountains are the portals. They're water. So permafrost, it freezes it permanently. No one can get through.
2: So this is the question, I suppose, by the end, they destroy Fillory. But what happens to the Nilerlands? Will there be any further travel in the future between worlds? We don't know. I mean, you would think you could undo that spell?
1: I don't think so. The way Zelda was saying it.
2: Somebody capable of that?
1: If anyone was capable, it would be the Beast.
2: He's also super distracted and found another way to do that. True. Though much quicker. Unfortunately, after she does that, she is killed by the Beast. Back to break bills, Lipson gives Penny the news that while his daughter is healthy, Julia hasn't regained consciousness. Her organs are shutting down and they're trying everything, but it's not working. Penny begs Plum to travel them back and save Julia, but she says they already tried that. They made a time loop, and it got so much worse. He took her to her grandmother Jane, who agreed that that would give them a clean start, but Plum would only have enough power to do a loop once. When she did, only Josh escaped Fillory. The rest got trapped waiting there, so she pushed Josh to find a way. They tried the seed here on Earth, and it failed. When Zelda took them to the Netherlands, they never came back. And Jane said not to do too much or it could create more damage. So everything that they had to keep pushing here, if those things hadn't worked in the last time loop, it all fell apart.
1: Yeah. So first of all, here's another twist. When Penny's told that we've already done this before, I was like, what? And this is Plum's first time doing this. And I mean, hell of a time to be a first time, huh? Mm Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, getting advice from Jane, so that certainly had to help. But she was able to do this a ton of times to keep kind of recalculating. When Jane tried to redo, Yeah. okay, I did too much here. Let's do less next time. We don't have that luxury.
1: So Jane can't leave? She can't help?
2: She can never leave. The only way she stays alive is by being in those clock barons that exist in... They're kind of in Fillory, but not really. They're in a space out of time.
1: Okay, so question... During Plum's meeting with Jane, she had said, something, something, considering you're pregnant with my mother right now. How did she get pregnant? And then how does she have a kid and then her mother is able to have a kid? Because they're stuck in nowhere now, aren't they? Because the world around them, filly around them, is gone. Mm-hmm. Curious.
2: But we see Plum getting in and out.
1: No, That was just, that was before.
2: Even after, though. She went back? Well, Rupert gets sent there. Right. So there's Someone some, and, and Jane does her. say, I'll still be here in the Clock Barons. It's just going to be harder to find me without Fillory.
1: Okay. So maybe you can travel there. There is All
2: possibility.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. Maybe her mother's a traveler. Mm. Plums.
2: Well, but Plum finishes this by saying, Fogg didn't attack that last time. That's what's different from this time around. And it's then Penny realizes Fogg remembers time loops. So he's trying to change this
1: one. Yes. See? So he was helping. And that was a skill of his that I forgot about because it was only applicable in season one. Fog remembers time loops. So he saw it happen already and it failed.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: He's doing everything in his power while still in his crazed state to fix it.
3: Well,
2: it's finally the return of our Fog, which we wanted to see by the end of the series, right? Uh, We don't know it until he can speak. Lipson tries this thing, banned in 14 countries, That a cat can hold Fogs crazy.
1: I love that. Don't tell Peter.
2: It works, and he explains he's doing all this to ensure the
4: plan. But I managed to get everyone out of the Netherlands in time. Plum may not know, but yes, they are going to be attacked.
0: Well, it seems you did manage in your
4: way. Good. Tell Katie the seed is in the lab. Why did you attack Julia? Because she and your child would die if Eleanor had performed the goddamn surgery.
0: Yeah, well, she's dying now, so...
4: If you had succeeded in delicately separating the cord, it would be rendered useless. Quick rough cut, counterintuitive. yes, I know. The cord goes into a state of shock.
0: Allowing it a chance for implantation.
4: Yes. Shh. This will let Julia recover. Last time, you realized far too late. The only catch is you need to attach it to someone else, someone who can handle the psychic input from, well, a clearly very powerful traveler baby
2: now that tether is always there, mother to any traveler child, it would never be cut. I don't know, and you can't cut it without reimplanting it. no idea. this is very bizarre. I feel like I can't totally wrap my brain around the way that works and if did every tr- traveler's mom have this problem forever and ever, like
1: it's and they're saying that they had to reattach it. Or else Julia would be in trouble? Or the baby?
2: The cord would die, rendering it useless. But wouldn't that just mean the baby wouldn't be a traveler? I don't know. Like you almost end all traveling abilities? Man, I wish we could talk to Arjun now. Although I'm not sure if he would know either. you be like, I don't know. <laughs> um, well, it's an easy solution for Penny. And as Julia wakes, we see that she's not hearing the thoughts anymore. So it worked. She names the baby Hope Quentin... And Penny has his psychic powers back, but only while holding the baby.
1: But look how happy he is. Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, but dangerous because he can read Julia's mind.
2: And taking a newborn baby on all these crazy traveling adventures. I don't know if that's advisable.
1: <laughs> Do you think they're going to end up together now? Oh, yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, the way they ended that, it seemed like. Because their biggest issue was they couldn't come to a resolution on, this is who I am and I need to keep doing this versus, okay, but how does the relationship work? And now they've figured that out. In Fillory, Elliot, Margot, and Josh go towards the slide that leads to the clockwork dwarf.
1: I love how, finally, some of these things are coming back into play. There was a reason to see him originally. Now it makes more sense.
2: Margot admits there never was any shortcut, and she knew it. Her plan all along was to sacrifice herself so that the others could get back to the tree.
1: Did you notice she was crying Mm -hmm. a little bit?
2: So once she slides down there, she can't get out. But she insists she forces the others to go on, and she puts her eye in the container that Santa gave her.
1: Perfect, and gives it to Josh. But we can't uh, skip over the fact that Josh made a badass ham sandwich for the co- yeah, clockwork he dwarf. Yeah, he thought
2: he had a plan when the <laughs> dwarf was still going to be there.
1: Well, Margo was able to eat it.
2: Yeah, she sure was. Uh, With the eye, she'll be able to watch them so that she knows when they're back at the tree and can turn the clock. They get there, and checking the scroll, they find all numbers at zero. Everyone has been raptured. Unfortunately, including the dwarf, Margot sees once she gets down there. So she turns the clock herself and starts eating the sandwich from Josh as everything falls apart.
1: I thought that scene was so well done. She was showing so much determination, heroism. Still was kind of funny. Same well, eating Margo. the sandwich, and then just, you know, she's going to watch it all fall apart around her. And then in comes Penny.
2: Yeah, it's here we get this look during the TV show of the apocalypse starting in Fillory, volcanoes erupting, the earth crashing in on itself. And there's a beautiful passage from the book, The Magician's Land, about this. Now, Margo's name is Janet in the books, kind of the counterpoint. But she says, meanwhile, the action on the edge of the world was deeply, sublimely awful. The sun was squashing there like a rotten pumpkin. It hadn't just grazed the rim of Fillory, it was definitely, agonizingly bottoming out there, grinding itself flat, spending its remaining thermal and kinetic energy on destroying itself, and throwing stupendous curling gouts and ferns of fire into the air, erecting a vast pillar of stream reaching up into the sky. She couldn't have said why, but being here felt right. The weird, evenly spaced hills, lit up by flickering, flaring light from the dying sun, casting long shadows back and away. She felt calm here. The others would be fine. She would sit her final vigil here, in the hills of the Chankley Bore. So it's a very similar feeling moment. Margot kind of in isolation, watching what she thinks is the end of the world. Yeah. Sad, but somehow calm at the same time. But as you said... In this version, Penny is able to travel in at the last minute and grab Margot.
1: Come with me if you want to live.
2: Getting her away.
1: Josh wanted me to say that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in the lab, the group all gathers together.
1: Wait, wait. Do you remember the first time we heard come with me if you want to live?
2: In this story?
1: You, yeah. The first time we ever meet Josh when he shows up in the by the fountains and our crew is getting chased. Oh, oh, and yes. he says, come with yep. me if you want to live. Okay. I always wanted to say that. <laughs> So that's perfect. That's a good wrap up there.
2: Yeah. In the lab, the group all gathers together for a cooperative spell. Elliot wants to help, but Lipson says he sustained permanent damage to his hands. And again, another heartbreaking moment that because he's not performing this spell, he's not going to wind up there. Alice comes in and says she's decided to accept everything she is right now.
0: My plan is I'm going to accept exactly everything I am right now. Instagram that nonsense later, girl. Every single good and shitty part, and especially the shit. I suggest we all do it. We have to acknowledge it in order to adjust for it in your casting. Internal circumstances. It's the one thing we can control. So Josh, Margot, and Alice
2: stand around the triangle chanting and casting, while Fenn walks in and talks to the seed giving her memories of the world. The first time she saw a Pegasus, when she saw her father make a knife with magic, when he gave her away to a stranger. Fillory kind of sucks sometimes. Can't I just have the best of Fillory and the best of Earth? The best of us. That's what we deserve. It's then that the seed starts to open, and everyone but Elliot and Katie disappear.
1: We're getting a Fillory, but better. The best of both worlds, the things that our magicians love. We have a knife tree. That's Fenn's love. We have a field of bacon Bacon? bushes or something.
2: Don't you remember what this was? Oh, my heart. The way that Quentin managed to bring Alice back from the edge when he'd returned her from being an niffin, and everything about being a human sucked.
1: Except for bacon. He made her
2: try bacon.
1: Oh, that's right. And
2: she was like, against her better will, oh my God, I still love bacon.
1: Yeah. I thought that was so much more interesting rather than just recreating Fillory.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Never mind the things that they didn't touch upon that are probably really cool out there, right? But the other thing is, we got to see Alice. She's whole now. That speech she gave before they started the spell, she's finally found herself after all these years. So she's going to be a better person.
2: And she'll learn how to cast one-handed like she does here. Now we get our little bit of a fast forward. Sometime later, though not long after, Fog wonders to Lipson why nothing can ever be easy, and he remarks on where they all wound up. Katie and Pete are still working with the Hedge Witches and keeping a moon lunatic on retainer. I would say Katie got maybe the least time and closure to a storyline. Yeah. She does return to that group, which is seemingly
1: where she was meant to be. And they're figuring out magic with the moon. They all have their own moon lunatic. I love that. She, Yeah, I think she's where she needs to be. And I I was satisfied
2: with that being enough for me.
1: Sure. I I don't think she really likes Pete, though.
2: (laughs) But in a way, that's great. I like that dynamic. We mentioned Elliot is the newest member of the Breakbills faculty. His hands are healed, but his friends are gone. And he's unhappy. He wonders if there's any way that Seb made it, at which point we do see Rupert drinking tea with Jane in the Barrens. That's kind of perfect.
1: Yeah, so somehow he got there. He's with his sister. She's not alone. I think it's beautiful. Mm
2: -hmm. Charlton reveals that Santa's gift to Elliot turned him back into his true Charlton form and wonders if Elliot could ever have romantic feelings for him, a man who's emotionally available and plans to stick around.
1: Well, as long as he has the bracelet on, his true form is there. Another beautiful gift from Santa. He just somehow always knows what people need. Mm Mm-hmm. That was a great send-off for them. I think that'll help Elliot through.
2: Well, and they go to figure it out, which is played for laughs because, of hor- because of course, Hyman is still Hyman, trying to restrain himself but then following to peep on them. But if he would have just said, oh, I realize I've been in love with you all along, Charlton, that wouldn't have felt right. He does need time to mm-hmm. heal from all of these things, and we can hope that eventually he'll realize this is a relationship that's good and could work for him. He's just not there yet.
1: Yeah, and I just... I don't see it as a romantic. I really, again, I see it as a Margot-type relationship.
2: I'm not sure. I, don't, I think he's not sure. True. As we mentioned, Penny and Julia prepare for another quest to find their friends, but this time as a family.
1: Like Arjun was saying, they could do an amazing next season where they're trying to find each other.
2: I'll get there in a minute. My thoughts on the future? We have one last group to talk about. Fogg thinks that because they still have magic on Earth, the group must have accomplished creating the Wellspring again. Even though they don't know where they are, they can infer that it worked. And after a far shot of a new planet, Fenn, Josh, Margot, and Alice comment on the discoveries of their new world that you were just mentioning. They say it's not fillery, but it's not not fillery.
4: The air is breathable, food galore. No predators in the vicinity. Is it time? No.
0: If we let them out, we have to tell them we're utterly lost. No idea where we are, and not a bunny in sight to get a message to our friends. And they'll be homesick and scared and cranky and hungry. We'll have to build infrastructure from scratch. So, who wants to do the honors? You carry the whole world in your coach. You earned it. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. But, New fillery needs a leader. And as its literal birth mother, I feel I get to say, I hereby dub thee High King Margot, the creator. Woo! Fine. Make a meal out of it. You guys know our lives are about to get even weirder in some insane way we can't possibly predict. I mean, yes. yes. I mean, yes. Yes.
4: But I find that somehow
1: perversely comforting.
0: So do I. And that's how I know it's our story.
1: And again, a beautiful ending. I've watched that ending maybe 30 times. I like how it just shuts off. And the last person you see is Margot with that smile on her face.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And she's High King. She was meant to be. And we knew this after season three, I believe
2: yeah, and everybody getting the completing touches. You know, she's the creator now instead of the destroyer.
1: Oh, yes, yes.
2: Which was always more fitting. The relationship between her and Fen, Fen finally realizing her own worth. Margot and Josh getting to be together. I mean, while that moment with Fen was beautiful, the way they were playing her sacrifice, I knew the entire time. She's not going down here. She's just, they're Fen? not putting enough weight on Margot. Oh, Margot in the moment where she was in the clockwork heart. But the way they summarized it, I really enjoyed. Me too. So we're going to talk about our feelings on where they left the series as a whole in just a minute. But for this episode, Jason, the finale on a scale of one to 10 surges, what do you give it?
1: I'm going all the way up. I'm going 9.7 surges. Wow. I absolutely loved it. I just wish there was more of it. But I guess that makes it good. You don't want to end it where everyone says, that's enough. There were sacrifices made. It's not a fairy tale ending, and it would have been weird if it was for the magicians. People have lost loved ones, they've lost magic, they they've lost their sanity. <laughs> a lot is sacrificed.
2: Well, I'm gonna come very close to you and give it a nine point five surges. I think this says a lot because I was also measuring it off of how the books ended. Mm and having no Quentin and waiting for this moment for a very long time. As I've been saying throughout, I was a little disappointed for the end of the Elliot storyline, but the rest of it, I thought, really hit it as right on as it could, given that they kind of ran out of time. I could have seen another season very much finishing up these storylines and giving some more weight to the character stuff, what happened to Dean Fogg what was going on with Penny and his powers, his relationship with Julia, the library that we just had to kind of leave off with, the underworld and Hades, things that maybe weren't as central. And I think that going into this finale, that's what they had to do. They had to say everything not directly related to our characters is going to get cut. So we feel mostly okay with things. You know, the rest of the world isn't resolved because it's still out there. It's bittersweet. But now that they have tied it up so nicely... I don't know how it would feel to open it back up again. It's almost like I'm okay and I want to leave it there because it's in a good place, just like the books were in a good place and I feel very comfortable with that. feels like a natural end. So in our bonus episode, we will get to our ratings for all of the seasons, how things compare, what does that mean we rated the whole show. But just for this season, our totals, that leaves IMDb at an 8.1 me at a 7.8, and you at an 8.2 Okay. for season five.
1: That's really good. Yeah. It's a good, strong send-off.
2: Especially losing our main character, one of our main characters last season, having to wrap things up much more quickly than we thought they would be. As the critics said earlier on, an ending to this story, which mm. nobody was going to be 100% happy with, I think that's pretty damn good. In the nines for the finale and right around the eights for the season as a whole.
1: All right, I think we've talked enough. Let's find out what our Clatches thought. Our poll on Twitter for this episode was Penny and Julia, Elliot and Charlton, Fog and Lipson, Margot, Josh, Fenn, and Alice. Now we know we were tipping the scales a little bit, perhaps with having four characters in one option, but we couldn't split them.
2: We had to kind of leave off where the groupings ended right where the majority of the time was spent this finale and who wound up with who by the end and i think the results are fair
1: in fourth place with 7.4 percent is elliot and charlton look elliot and charlton shined all season long that's evident with how many polls elliot won but this episode you know he helped tremendously but you know he didn't do the pivotal things which is fine with me
2: Mm -hmm. and elliot too did so much this season that i think it's okay leaving him back at the starting board, but with hope for the first time, maybe ever real hope. It's sad. But you couldn't also end every single character exactly where you wanted to, because then we'd say, well, that's unrealistic, right? Mm-hmm.
1: But also, I think Elliot has, again, there's a lot of hope for him because he's at Break Bills. I think he'll find his way.
2: I'd like to believe so. Well, tying for second and third, both with 10.3%, are Penny and Julia and Fog and Lipson. I love that Fog and Lipson tied that spot up there. Me too. Because truly, none of this happens without Fog. Yeah. He changed the whole course of this time loop. He was there in the very beginning to welcome our magicians into this world. Yes, he was tough on them at times, but nobody cared about them like he did. You end up with him back in this position.
1: Doing it again.
2: Saying, well, they all made it through, mostly. I, I, I managed to give them a chance.
1: Magic is still around, which means they must have done it.
2: hmm Yeah, they didn't just live. They saved magic. But coming in first place with 72.1% are Margot, Josh, Ben, and Alice.
1: I think it's only fair. Margot kicked ass this episode. She's the last face we see. She was sacrificing herself... And they're the ones that are going to start this new land. And I love it. And I love the fact that Fen is a part of it. It's amazing. Yeah. And with Josh, I'd love to have him, that character, in my life as a friend. Because he's funny as shit. Mm-hmm. And he cooks really well. Uh-huh. Now, we got a lot of responses. And we thank you, everyone. We read them and we love everything you have to say. But in order to keep this episode digestible. We're going to just read a few key ones.
2: Starting off with Elliot Todd, I agree with this. He says the finale missed a chance for other characters to share their memories of Fillory. Elliot had a life in the day with Q. Alice died and became a Niffin in front of the Wellspring. Margot discovered herself and her ice axes while protecting Fillory. And Josh, I guess, found love. It did seem like it was only Fen, regrowing this world while that was happening, talking to the seed, giving it her memories. But the fact that once they get transported to this new place, it does have a bacon tree and everything else. I think Margarita it took
1: pizza too <laughs> from
2: everybody that was in that circle. Yes. Now, outside of that circle, you know, not having Quentin's memories, I have to hope that Alice was thinking all of that and putting some of that into it, that mm. they didn't incorporate everyone because otherwise that would be sad.
1: And I want to know about that goddamn witch that we've been talking about for years now.
2: Well, put it on the list, Jay.
1: For the bonus.
2: <laughs> Nathan says, It's so surreal I can't even describe what I'm thinking at the moment. I want to give a shout-out to some of the supporting characters who didn't appear this season, but helped bring this show and its world to life. The Lorians, Poppy, Frey, and Humble Drum, just to name a few. And yeah, put the fairies right on there, on that list. Harriet.
1: But they, the fairies kind of had a... That's why I was surprised to see them again this this season because they kind of had a wrap up already.
2: A bit, but the fact that they did reintroduce them, I think that's another area that they were playing with going back to. Mm. Never heard from the McAllister's again, probably because we didn't go back to the fairies. But as far as influence, um
1: Yeah, and Nathan's gave us pictures, which I love.
2: For sure. What about Mayakovsky? Yes. Bert says, I'm in denial. There's still so much more of the story to tell. I need to watch it again because the time traveling was confusing, as time travel is. I'm happy Fen birthed Fillory. Elliot finally has a chance to be truly in love and Margot is now High King Margot, the creator.
1: Elliot Todd said, I'm also sad that Plum used her last bit of plasma. No time traveling anymore. I actually, and I may be wrong, but I don't think she used her plasma. She used something that Jane Chatwin gave her.
2: No, she said she did. She didn't have enough left to create another time loop. Now, I'm guessing time loop takes a lot of that. So she might still be able to travel a couple of times,
1: but not create a whole loop. Oh, man, I really thought that Jane just had some shit in her house.
2: Well, Jane probably still does have some shit. Okay. Unless they stole it all last time and didn't bring it back. (laughs) Sherry Ava says, I had to wait a day before I could bring myself to watch the finale. I felt a combination of angst and anticipation about how the show would end. It was satisfying in many ways, but also opened the door to many future possibilities. It feels like we spent five years together with the Magicians cast, making new friends and watching them grow. And now we're all going our separate ways after graduation. Your CKC podcast added to my weekly immersion into the world of The Magicians. Thank you for your thoughtful and interesting research on relevant show topics and cast member interviews. Also for allowing me to participate as a clatcher. That's going to get me more emotional than the finale of the show did.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. We got a lot of those sweet messages and we value all those. I take screenshots and I put them in an Evernote, kind of like um, CKC Evernote, notebook with inspiring moments to Mm. keep us going
2: yeah we actually have a wall too in the podcast studio where we have these little marker boards that you can write on we put where we're currently at goals for the future and then I'll do snippets of a great review or nice words that we got and it's just right there reminding us to keep
1: going Elliot Todd brings up something really interesting Was anyone else thinking that the bracelet from Santa was actually a portal to the new and improved fillery? That would have been great.
2: Yeah, he had also written in saying he felt there was a lot of jumping around from realm to realm that made it a bit confusing, but emotionally satisfied, even though it was a bit rushed. Also that he noticed the show ended early enough to air a making of mini doc. So he suspects that some cuts were made for time and maybe certain plot points would have made more sense if they didn't have to take that out. Um, And we are going to get to that mini doc in a minute. So thank you, Todd.
1: Oh, trees and snow. We normally don't read these out loud, but it's the last ever. So fuck it. Jason and Christina, you are my MVMs for all the care and thought you put into these podcasts. Thank you for sharing your enthusiasm. Thank you.
2: They're trying to make... They're trying to get to the cold-hearted Christina with this one.
1: (laughs) The reality is it's so much work to do these podcasts. If you guys weren't there pushing us along inspiring us to continue to do this, we would have stopped years ago.
2: But the fun doesn't end. Brian C. says, now that The Magicians is over, it might be time to catch up on Westworld. And listen, (laughs) this is not just a plug. Okay, we are just finishing episode three on Westworld. There are only eight this season, but still plenty of time left to catch back up. And there might be some interesting things for CKC with the future of Westworld. So it's a good time to stay tuned.
1: Oh, and I should note that this podcast is going to go out a day later than we normally do been a bit overwhelmed here but we're getting it out i promise
2: yeah this is a heavy episode shauna says really satisfying finale it felt true to the spirit of the show and i love that it was so easy to imagine everyone's story continuing early christmas was the perfect way to slow down for a second before the chaos and i loved fen's joy over the knife
1: sharpener Yeah, me too and you're right well said A, a good slowdown before it gets crazy
2: But still so many unanswered questions. I need to go back to the Fillory census to see if the sentient boats are on there because I really hope the Munchak made it to new Fillory. Oh, Oh, put the Munchak on the the list. And I hope they find Q's Fillory family someday. Ooh. Yeah, so I'm writing all these down for the bonus, but specifically, we're taking a little bit of time before we go into that. So if you have thoughts on unanswered threads open things that we didn't get resolution to, please feel free to write in and we'll try to include all of that there.
1: If you do that, please email us so we don't it doesn't get lost in the shuffle. Contact at com. This way we can save it and go back to it when we're ready.
2: Yeah, you can just write Magician's Bonus and bullet point anything that comes to mind. Be Nice says, this is such horrible timing for our escape hatch to be taken from us. There were so many aspects to the episode that run parallel to our reality. The loss of our Florian friends cuts even deeper. Everyone is separated. Life, as most of them have been living, will have to be restarted anew. And the plans of how it all resolves are no longer being plotted on a storyboard. Heroes were tested, friends have been lost, and old connections renewed. One of the high points to the episode was the trajectory of High King Margot starting as a somewhat vapid socialite character and evolving into the hero we all knew she could be. Summer Bishel wins the made-me-feel-every-emotion award for her performance. The low point was that once again, the original High King Elliot was left to mourn the loss of his loved ones. Santa brought gifts to all to help them complete their personal quests and gave Alice the courage to finally see how strong she has been from the start. Fenn's precious memories will make Fillory a place filled with adventures, ones that might go on without us for now. And to our dear Jason and Christina, thank you for teaching us to always pay attention to the details, to be kind to each other even if we disagree, and that we don't have to be magicians to see that magic is real. Oh. Be well. This round's on us.
1: Oh, damn it. Mm. Thank you so much. Uh, what you guys don't know is she yells at me at the end of the podcast if I disagree with her. <laughs> just kidding.
2: Well, Be Nice just won the award for getting to me. Oh, oh, my goodness. oh look
1: at her. She's tearing up. Um, what Be Nice said kind of remind, for some reason, made me think of this. After Margot presses that button and the Florians start coming back in, they're going to be pissed.
2: Well, and presumably this includes the Pickwicks, right? Can you imagine them right now?
1: Oh, yeah. Remember in the beginning of the season, our original Pickwick and a couple of the other essential ones were brought 300 years forward, right? So where have they been? They were in that scene when they met up.
2: We saw that Tick was being exiled with Margo in them, and we didn't really see what happened to the exiled people, but they were still in Fillory. Okay. So I'm presuming we saw like all manner of creatures being raptured, yeah. that they're all there.
1: Now remember, the Florians liked the Dark King. So they're going to come back. Margo's going to have to explain the new land they're in. Their houses are gone because they have to rebuild from scratch. I
2: guess. Do they have memory of that?
1: They're going to, yeah, for sure. You
2: would think so, right?
1: So that could be a great beginning of next season. Everything's not all right. People are pissed.
2: They're going to be. You know they are. (laughs) I'd be pissed. They're never happy, really, with the
1: ruler. Well, that's true. So again, thank you. Be nice.
2: There's a bunch of other really touching ones. And unless you want to hear me keep crying and this, go on another hour. I'm just going to give some shout outs to names, but we just read them all in a pause that you guys didn't hear. Thank you so much to Corona Brandino. Mrs. Professor Bruce Hulk, Mara, Amir, Marquisha, Afik Faisal, and anybody else that we didn't get to, including Lauren from Seattle and Hortohor, I hope. I don't know if that's correct.
1: Thank you guys so much. Oh, I'm glad that everyone enjoyed the ride with us, and I'm glad everyone enjoyed going on the ride with the CKC. You have no idea how much it means to us. And we hope that you stick with us on Twitter because just like we said before, we're going to be doing a bonus one, but it's going to be a couple of weeks from now. So stick with us on Twitter and Facebook so that you know when that's going up and so that you're prepared for the questions that we're going to deliver to you.
2: Jason, I have one more segment. Stop rushing ahead.
1: Well, I did want to just one more time stress, if you haven't already, follow us over on Patreon. We have the same passion that you see here over there we do movie reviews, we break down movies just like we break down these shows. Our coffee breaks are tremendously fun. You get to see a, a lighter side of us. It's not as stressful. And then our bonuses, we have some fun with information of all around the world, interesting things about the world. Not necessarily news because we don't we try to steer away from newsy things. But like, what are the interesting things about the brain? Or why do we have Christmas trees during Christmas? Where did that originate? Would dogs
2: survive in a world after people?
1: Yeah, there's so many things.
2: And we have some new fun things planned for the future too that maybe are a little different than what we've been doing. We keep to the core of, hopefully, what you love about CKC, but try a bit more new things than we would on the free cast.
1: So that's our last plug.
2: Well, in my last segment here, the closer look does come directly from the books. I have a passage that I thought was really beautiful and then a little notation on how the story ended in the books. So if you have not read The Magician's Land, the final book in the trilogy, and you don't want how the book ending to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn off. And don't worry, just come join us for the bonus episode. We'll have another spoiler warning over there as well. For those of you still here, the first thing I have is a closer look that we skipped a couple episodes ago on the exotic plant from the Magician's Land, because we weren't quite sure where they were going with the world seed, and I didn't want to ruin it. But this is how it goes in the books. Julia takes Quentin to the far side of Fillory, I'll get to that in a minute, and she brings him to a place that she says is more than a garden, it's deep magic. Rupert mentions it in his memoir. We call it the Drowned Garden. Now, of course, we saw the Drowned Garden a couple of seasons ago. She tells us the plants aren't just plants, they're thoughts and feelings. A new thought happens and a new plant springs up. Some are more common ones, like fear, anger, happiness, love, and envy that are always in bloom. They're quite unruly. They grow more like weeds, but others are quite rare. Awe and wonder are harder to find than they once were. Once in a while, you'll even see a new one. Look, this one is very rare. Quentin kneeled down, too, and a few of the sparkly motes gathered around them. It was a humble little plant, fragile, a fledgling shrub with a few spray of leaves. As Quentin watched, it wobbled, losing heart, and its leaves browned and spotted. But then it caught itself, filled out again, and stiffened, and even grew an inch. A couple of seed pods sprouted from its branches. He recognized it. It was the plant he'd seen drawn on the page from the Netherlands. He'd given up on ever finding it, and now here it was right in front of him. Julia must have known. All unexpectedly, his eyes were full of hot tears. He wiped them away. It was ridiculous, crying over a plant. He hadn't even cried when he killed Ember. But it was like seeing a loyal old friend he'd never even met. He reached down and touched one leaf gently. This is a feeling that you had, Quentin, she said. Once, a very long time ago. A rare one. This is how you felt when you were eight years old. And you opened one of the Fillory books for the first time. You felt awe and joy and hope and longing all at once. You felt them very strongly. You dreamed of Fillory then, with a power and an innocence that not many people ever experience. That's where all this begins for you. You wanted the world to be better than it was. Years later, you went to Fillory, and the Fillory you found was a much more difficult, complicated place. In some ways, it was better and purer than the real one. That hopeful little boy you were was a tremendous dreamer. And if you ever had a special gift, it was that. Quentin nodded. He couldn't quite talk yet. He felt full of love for that little boy he'd once been. He hadn't thought of him in years. He wasn't that boy anymore. He'd become a man instead, one of those crude, weather-beaten, shop-worn things, and almost forgotten he'd ever been anything else. He'd had to forget to survive, but now he wished he could reassure that child and take care of him. Tell him that none of it was going to turn out anything like the way he'd hoped, but that everything was going to be all right anyway. Here, she said, take this with you. I think you should have it. It looked like a seed pod from any ordinary plant anywhere, but it was unmistakably the one from the page, and it would grow again, sooner or later. So that's how Quentin got the seed in the books. This is where the plot went. Quentin, Plum, Elliot, and Alice traveled to the Netherlands, searching for an answer to Fillory's Trouble— And they encounter Penny, now a powerful master librarian with new translucent golden hands. He's still kind of a dick in his Penny way, but he allows them to look at information in the library about Fillory that helps them be able to succeed in their task. And they see that he's thriving now with this new magic that other librarians are in fact emulating because it's so powerful. And all of that was because Penny lost and never regained his hands in the Mm. books. Wow. Um, Fillory did go through an apocalypse. Quentin and Alice refused to give up on it, though, traveling back to the dying world, where Quentin, mimicking the beginning of Fillory, sacrificed Ember and Umber to assume their power and rebuild the world. When the job was finished, he relinquished the divine power to Julia, now a demigoddess. She rewarded him with the tour of Fillory, where she gave him the seed pod from the drowned garden. But Fillory is recreated. It's a new one. And yeah. Julia is going to stay there as a demigoddess to help rule it.
1: Oh, wow. So it's, a, it's very different.
2: It's kind of a good ending for her. And then in the meantime, Elliot, Janet, Josh, and Poppy return to the newly remade Fillory as its rulers. Plum joins them, but to find her own adventures. So that group goes back to the newly made Fillory to rule and to help them there. Plum's probably going to go traveling or whatever. That's the equivalent of her meeting Jane here. Okay. But Quentin returns with Alice to New York. And with their new world seed pod, they create a new magical world. And they head into that land to explore where they discover there's a back door to Fillory from their world. So they have a new, even more magical world. And that's why they call it Fillory and And Further.
1: further. Oh, wow. It's like the magic of bed bath and beyond.
2: <laughs> What's the beyond? So, I mean, you can feel how it keeps true to the essence but in a very magician's show way, yeah, kind of breaks out and does its own thing.
1: And I like both of them, to be honest with you.
2: And I think to finish this off, we did get that little mini doc at the end of the episode where you saw Chris Fisher speaking.
1: Yeah. I mean, that behind the scenes was very touching. I love watching those on Sci-Fi's Magicians website. Those are always fun to watch, but this one was a little extra special, and I think they knew that, and that's why they put it up there. I just want to thank the Clatchers one more time, and um, these 13 weeks have been amazing. These five years have been amazing, and we hope that the Clatchers follow us along in our journeys moving forward with other shows, um, other ideas that we'll have for podcasts. Don't forget about us. And we,
2: The bonus episode, we're going to reflect on all the last five years and how this all started for us because it really was a passion project. Talk about some of our favorite moments. We'll really be able to look back on the entire journey in a way that we couldn't when we're talking so much about the finale here.
1: And if you're following us on our Magicians channel, go ahead and follow us on our main channel, Coffee Clutch Crew. Back it's a up. white background image. It says the Coffee Clutch Crew, very large. Uh, just so you're aware of whatever else we're doing, we'll do what we normally do here: is we sprinkle in movie reviews in there. Maybe there's a show that comes up and you're like, oh, snap, they're doing that too. Because the magic is not over for us and not over for the CKC.
2: And with that said, we'll leave you with Chris Fisher's words. Season one, we learned that magic was real. Season two, we became kings and queens.
1: Season three, we rode a ship around the world in search of adventure. Season four, we lost somebody we loved. And season five, we discovered that everything we need, we already have. If we've spent five years making a show this beautiful, working this hard, and taking care of each other, and treating each other this fairly, hopefully we've changed in these five years. And I just wanna challenge you guys, go out there, raise a torch, light the way, be a magician. And I, I know we'll continue to do this in spirit, Uh, And, um, you know, I love you guys. Uh.
4: And can I have one more take?